On today's program, I'm going to wade out into some very deep waters and address a controversial topic. So stay tuned. Welcome to Kingdom Currents. Today I'm going to talk about something that stirs up a lot of debates and even conflict between people. You've got it. I'm going to talk about politics. When this episode airs, we will be about one week away from another national election. And over the past several months, we have all been bombarded by political ads, rallies, uh, mail telling us uh, who we're supposed to vote for. There is an ongoing debate on whether or not Christians should even be involved in politics. And if they do get involved, are, are they simply Christian nationalists? I've heard uh, some church leaders say that the church, which again is made up of all believers, people, should focus on the gospel, not politics. Of course, this kind of thinking is a reflection of the faulty worldview that far too many Christians live by. This same faulty worldview is the reason why still today so many Christian parents send their children to secular schools where God's existence is denied and his truth is ignored where man is the center of everything. This faulty worldview goes by different titles, but I prefer to refer to it as simply dualism. I can describe it by saying that dualism is where you divide your life up into two compartments, the secular and the sacred. And Christians then try to live by actually different worldviews and beliefs depending on what department, uh, compartment of life they're, they're living in. Now, now, once Christians adopt a dualistic worldview, then what happens is certain areas of life are, are moved from being under biblical uh, direction into the secular compartment, and therefore they're not subject to, to the ideas and beliefs found in Scripture. Uh, I have seen this happen in the area of politics. Politics uh, became labeled as secular in nature, and therefore they didn't really have any spiritual implications. And once that occurred, <laughs> then what people did was they took various issues that are definitely spiritual, that are based on uh, biblical morality, and, and they simply label them as political issues, and therefore Christians are, are not to see them as moral issues or get involved with them. Uh, the two most common examples that we face like this today is the area of abortion and gender identity. Now, we're going to look at these two areas later on, but, but right now, let, let's talk about some realities. See, we've got to understand that God created the entire universe. Every aspect of his creation is where he wants to reign as ultimate sovereign king. He does not see life divided up into compartments. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, that, that as Christians, our highest priority in life is to seek God's kingdom. And, and we've addressed this in other episodes, but defining the kingdom of God is really saying that it's the reign of God through Jesus Christ in a believer's life. And he reigns when we, his people, obey his word. And so what we've got to understand that God wants to reign in our entire life, including how we get involved and address the area of politics. Now, now to, 
to really sort of get this out of this debate mode, instead of talking about politics, what we're really talking about is government or the state. And Scripture makes it clear the state is the second institution that God ordained, and he did so in order that people would live in just societies. Now, because God ordained the state, he expects his children to do all they can to ensure that the state operates according to biblical principles. Therefore, it is important that Christians are involved in the politics that actually determine what the state or the government will be like. I know that I have been told on many occasions that when Christians are involved in politics, all they're trying to do, they're trying to legislate their Christian morality on everyone else. (laughs) Again, we've got to understand that all legislation is legislating some form of morality on its citizens. Let me give you a common example. If you drive a car and you drive here in the United States, guess what? You're going to have to face the laws, the speed limits. And we, by setting speed limits on roadways, the government is putting a form of morality on everyone who drives. The morality found in every law, of course, is based on a foundational worldview or belief system. And it's either going to be God-centered or man-centered. The author of Acts penned some very important words in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. And here's what it says. He, meaning God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. Now, this verse is often used to to show the truth that there is only one race here on earth, the human race, and that every person, therefore, is equal in God's sight as one who has been created in God's own image. However, this verse also tells the reader that God, who is sovereign, has determined for you and I where we are to live today. And and he's put us here at this time in history. And for you to live here in this country, uh, and for me to live here in this country at this time, is something that you and I didn't choose. It's something that God determined. And God has you and me here at this time in history, here in this country, or the country you are in where maybe you're listening to this podcast. He has you there for a purpose. And furthermore, you and I are here to go and do everything we can to glorify God, including trying to form a state or a government that operates as much as possible in line with biblical principles. Now, I live in a country where God has allowed uh, us to operate as a constitutional republic, which means that the country is not simply a democracy where the majority rules. It's but a republic in which the citizens elect representatives to develop and execute laws so that we will live in a just society. How can a Christian say that we should not be involved in this process when God himself has put us here to be salt and light in this earth, to to go and make sure as much as possible there are just societies. So we should be electing representatives who will develop and execute laws that are in line with that. And it is not simply a a matter of being involved in, in shaping the state by voting. 
it is important that we all allow God to reign in our lives as we vote. See, it's just not the voting process. It's who we vote for. Voting is part of the whatsoever you do that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 10.31, where it says, whether you eat or drink or for whatsoever you do. Well, voting is for whatsoever you do. And we're supposed to do that for God's glory, which means we're supposed to do it in a way that reflects his character. Another thing that we must understand as we seek his reign in our lives when it comes to being involved in the political process is what are we actually voting for? See, what happens is so many of us, we think, well, we're voting for a party or we're voting for an individual. But, but that is only uh, something that determines uh, whom they cast their votes for. And there's something more. There's something behind a person, and there's something behind political parties. What one is really doing when he or she votes, that person is voting for ideas or beliefs and values. And the ideas that you and I vote for are the ones that we're saying want to run our country, our state, our local communities, and even our lives. And we must never forget that every idea or every you know, belief uh, that we vote for is based on a worldview. And again, there's only two types of worldview, a God-centered biblical worldview or a man-centered secular worldview. So it is all critically important that we as Christians really understand what Satan's desire and schemes are when it comes to the state or government, and therefore it has implications in the political process. And I've addressed uh, Satan's desires in, in other episodes, but it needs to be said again, simply wants to be God. And, and his strategies in trying to be God uh, are very simple. He wants to destroy the family. And here's the second part. He wants to control the state because he believes if he can destroy the family, he will dis- control the state and that will end up weakening the church. And, and we can't forget that when, you know, time here on earth comes to an end, when history draws to God's ultimate conclusion, we find Satan in charge of a one-world government. And that's when he's going to unleash evil in a way that we cannot even fathom right now. See, Satan would love Christians to help him control the state by either failing to vote, not getting involved in it because it's not the gospel, or by voting for ideas that stand in direct opposition to biblical morality. I am convinced that there are two political issues today that I believe are the most important ideas or beliefs that we will be voting on in just a few days. Now remember, when we vote, we will be choosing the ideas, beliefs, values that we want our lives to be run by. And these two issues deal with one foundational biblical principle. And that principle is the sanctity of human life as created by God in God's image. Yes, I'm talking about the abortion issue and the issue of gender ideology. See, abortion is not a political issue of a woman's right to control her body. It is a biblical issue about the sanctity of the life of an unborn baby. 
The baby in the womb is a human being that God has created in his image. It is alive, and ending his or her life is equivalent to murdering an innocent child. Now, now I know that's a very strong statement, but it's clear when you look at Scripture. The psalmist said that God formed him while he was in his mother's womb. God actually knit him together to be the person he became while in the womb. Now, some would say, well, this might be true, uh, you know, that the baby in the, in the womb is, is alive. Even science says it's alive. But then they go and say, well, yet it's not a person. And so, therefore, you're not killing a person. Well, one of the aspects of being a person is being able to be known by others. See, I, I, don't, I can't know things, inanimate objects. I can only know persons. And here, if you turn to Scripture, God told Jeremiah, the prophet, these words, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. God is saying, guess what? (laughs) I knew you as a person before I formed you in the womb. And when I formed you in the womb, I I consecrated you to be something. So we've got to understand the unborn baby is a living person who God has created. And this is the moral absolute that one must choose when one votes for a candidate. So, so when, what ideas about abortion have been clearly stated by, by different political parties and candidates that are seeking our votes? Well, I, I'm not going to tell you my opinions about those parties and candidates. Let's look at their actual words. The gubernatorial candidate in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, stated and has reinforced this statement on numerous occasions. And, and listen to what she said. She clearly made this point, but let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. Now, what she is saying here is, that, that when you're not allowed to abort a baby, you are being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy. But let me remind you, you're a person primarily, except for the instance of rape, uh, is pregnant because they chose to get involved physically with another person. And we've got to understand that. And she has now made an unborn human being merely an economic factor. And therefore, she's justifying abortion as a means to solve poverty. U.S. Senate candidate in Georgia again, Raphael Warnock, who also is a pastor of a church, has stated in his church that abortion is a constitutional right for every woman. It's a constitutional right to, to murder that, birth, that baby right up until birth. Now, you may be saying that, that I'm sort of picking on Democrats. Well, the reason why this may be true is in the Democratic Party's platform, what they believe. The right for a woman to abort a baby is one of its major planks. 
I, I mean, for me to prove this, all I have to do is look at the party's leader, our current president, Joe Biden, and, and a promise that he has recently made on TV. And he has said that this is his top priority for this country when it comes to this upcoming election cycle. Listen to his words carefully. Your right to choose, meaning your right to murder a baby, rests with you. If you do your part and vote, Democratic leaders of Congress, I promise you, we'll do our part. I'll do my part. The first bill I will send to Congress will be to codify Roe versus Wade. What he is saying is, if you vote for the Democratic Party, now that's not me saying that, if you vote and put Democratic leaders in Congress, that's your part, then we'll do our part and I'll be the first one to put the first bill, more than any other bill, before Congress that will make Roe versus Wade, in, in other words, it will codify abortion. And then he said this, with your support, I'll sign it on, in January, 50 years after Roe was first decided the law of the land. So the president is saying, when you vote for Democratic candidates, you are voting to make the killing of unborn babies the law of the land. Now, now that's the reality of it. And what we're saying is we want that idea to control life here in, in the United States. Now, it is important to understand that if the life of an unborn baby is not considered valuable, then any other issue related to human beings really becomes a mute point. If you don't feel like you need to take care of and protect an innocent unborn baby in the womb who's totally self-defenseless, then, then don't tell me you're, you're worried about taking care of the poor or, or people who are supposedly marginalized. You know, what we've got to understand is, or, or let's say providing money for those who the government deems necessary to give money to, forgiving student loan debt, that, that's, that's really showing care. Well, if you're going to forgive someone's debt that they voluntarily took on, and they're going to have other people pay it for you so you're not responsible... How can you say you're caring for that person when you don't even care for an unborn baby in the womb? See, government is not supposed to be a provider, but a protector. This is clearly stated in Romans 13. So, so we've got to look at the candidates that we're going to be voting for. What do they believe about abortion and, and the sanctity of human life of the unborn baby? And, and we are called by God to vote in a way that will bring glory to him and reflect who he is. And he created that unborn baby as an image bearer of himself. Now, the second political issue that is on the ballot this year also deals with the sanctity of life being created by God. And this issue deals with gender ideology. We know that God's word clearly states that God created man in his image. He created them male and female. And, you know, when he does create a person, he creates them to be either male or female. We have seen before that he does this when they are being formed in their mother's womb. 
God doesn't make mistakes. When that child is born a male, that's who God intended that child to be. Even though science clearly demonstrates that a person is born either a male or a female, we're being told that one's gender is a choice. It doesn't matter how God created you. It is more important that you are what you feel you want to be. This is why biological men are being allowed to play and dominate women's sports, even causing injury because of their unequal strength to the women that they're competing against. So Christians need to vote based on a biblical worldview where every person is born as a male or female and has his or her worth found in the fact they were created in God's image. Yet in today's society, there is a push to allow children to be taught and encouraged to be whatever they feel they are at very early ages. Doctors are giving young children gender-altering drugs without parent notification, and they're performing major surgeries on these little children that are in reality mutilating their, these young children's bodies. Again, candidates are stating the ideas and beliefs that you will be voting for when you vote for them. These ideas will actually impact the education we will be receiving, that our children will be receiving in schools, and teachers will be required to teach them. Consider some recent headlines. A California preschool teacher was fired. Why? Because as a Christian, she asked for a religious exemption to be not to be forced to read books featuring same-sex couples to, to young children as young as three years old. In essence, teachers are required to read these books with their beliefs and values embedded in them that homosexuality and same-sex marriage and everything else is normal and should be really celebrated to young children. A Democratic Virginia legislator is introducing a bill, now listen, that will allow parents to be criminally charged. Why? If they do not affirm their child's sexual orientation and gender identity. Now what, what this legislator is saying she's going to put in there and, and others from her party will support it is that I'll put a bill there that if a parent tries to tell their child, no, you are the gender that God created you to be, not, not what you feel, that you can be charged criminally for doing that. You're abusing that child. Once again, I, I call your attention to a recent meeting that President Biden, who, who leads the Democratic Party right now, recently held in the White House. This meeting was with a controversial uh, transgender activist who goes by the name of Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney is a 25-year-old male who has documented his transition to being a young girl on social media. Now listen to this. She opened the interview with President Biden by stating, Mr. President, this is my 221st day of publicly transitioning, to which the president responded, God love you. What he is saying is, God loves you because you're publicly transitioning. I'm, bef I'm for you. When Mulvaney uh, asked the president if he believes states have a right to ban gender-affirming health care, which 
which means the the state should not go and tell schools or parents or or people outside of parents that uh, you know y- you should be giving them gender altering drugs and and surgeries and things like this. You shouldn't be doing that. And, and the president replied with these words: "I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that." as a moral question, and as a legal question, I just think it's wrong. The president denounces states that have passed bills outlawing gender-affirming treatments for minors by calling those actions immoral. And he goes on to state, no state should be able to do that in my view. Now, the reality is we are facing a major crossroad in our country today. The road that we will take will be determined in many ways by what ideas, beliefs, and values Christians vote for in the upcoming elections. It is true that the ultimate answer to the moral crisis facing us is not who goes into government offices. It it is found only in a move of God and spiritual revival. However, we must also do what we can to vote for ideas, beliefs that best align with God's nature and character and with God's truth. It is important to find out what beliefs and values each and every candidate stands for, especially in the areas of abortion and gender ideology, because those will be the beliefs and values they will put into law, and we will then be forced to live by them. We must make it a priority in our voting to protect the life of the unborn and protect parents and teachers who teach children and youth the truth about gender in line with God's word. It isn't about politics. It is about doing all we can to allow God to reign in all of life and act in ways that try and shape government to be in in alignment with biblical morality. We must never forget that government will legislate some form of morality on, on all of us. May God grant us mercy as we stand for moral values that are grounded in God's word. I want to thank you for tuning in to Kingdom Currents. I I know this has been a longer-than-normal podcast, but it is so important because it's going to impact the lives of future generations to come. And and let me know how how God is using this podcast to help you in your walk with the Lord. I'm grateful that so many are sharing Kingdom Currents with others. And would you join me in praying for God to keep us a free nation— where we can teach our children about God and his word without government interference. Hi, I'm Holly Barnes, and I work at Northwest Christian School as the Director of Marketing. I want to tell you about Frameworks. Northwest Christian School has made biblical worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, or homeschool. Frameworks has developed these courses using subject matter experts and curriculum from Summit Ministries, Young Life, Likewise Worship, and many others. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com.